Well, good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you this evening. Um, as Roland said, I'm Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing a message with you that's something that God has been fermenting in my heart for quite a long time, probably about half a year. He's been, he's been kind of stewing this up in me. We've been talking a bit about it as a leadership, but there's a long way for us to go. And I want to share with you what that is, because my hope is that as I share it with you, it's going to find some fertile soil in, uh, in the, those of us who are sitting here tonight. And I'm, I'm hoping that as I share, for some of you, it's going to be like a breath of fresh air. You're going to see this, and you're going to recognize the call of God on your life, and it's going to call out life in you. It's what it's done for me, and that's what I'm hoping it's going to do for us together. And it starts with a simple question. Why are we here? Why are you here tonight? Why do you go to school or go to varsity or go to work? Why does God allow us to continue to live on this earth and Jesus hasn't come back and taken us all to be with him in heaven? I know those are quite big questions. I also know that in some ways they're quite simple questions. This is like Sunday school early days, right? You kind of get schooled in, in, in recognizing, well, we're here for the gospel, and, and so there might be some, some easy answers to this question, but I want to say to you, my lived experience in church has been that the way in which we interpret this, whilst it's easy to answer in theory, I think there's often a lack of clarity in our hearts, and the way in which we live this out kind of testifies to that. See, we as a church are really great at doing lots and lots of really good things. I don't know if you've noticed that. Right? We're really good at doing good things. We, we feed the hungry. We upskill the poor. We run kids' clubs and youth clubs. We run young adult events that go to Fishhook or Simonstown. Right? We have prime time outings for once you finish being a young adult. Right? There are ministries to prostitutes. We, we pray for those who are sick. We fight for religious liberty. We counsel those who are in distress or trauma and so, so much more. We're really, really good at doing lots of good things. And the thing is, we do these things because as we read Scripture, we see in various places the call of God to act in light of who He is and what He's done. The other day, Roland and I were tasked with the eldership to do something, and uh, we found ourselves enjoying the fullness of the Gospels. Right? I read through the whole of Luke and John in two days, and Roland did Matthew and Mark. And in Luke and John, I recorded just the commands that Jesus gave to those who were listening to him. There were over 70 commands in two Gospels. They filled a 20-page document when I copied and pasted them out of the Scriptures and into a Word document. And because there are so many commands, and those commands are so varied, and we read the Scripture in light of the life context that we live, whatever is going on in our lives makes those commands begin to speak to us in light of who God has made us to be and the personalities that He's put in us and the way in which He shaped us and molded us. And so we read the Scriptures and we begin to connect with those sections of Scripture that speak to our hearts. Do you find that? Right? That's how God works, through His Scripture in us. And that's a really wonderful thing. I want to say that. It's a really wonderful thing. That's how God desires to work in us through His Scripture. But my concern as a church leader is that what happens if you don't channel that well is you end up with a church that doesn't have a clear focus. 
You end up with a body of believers and people that so love God and love others that we all are doing the different things that God has given us to do. Which kind of beautifully represents the image of the body that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 12, doesn't it? We're all different. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you, nor can the ear say to the eye, I don't need you. We all need one another. We're all meant to be different. But you notice that in a body, whilst you've got a collection of different organs, body parts, muscles, each one is different, but the body works together to do something. The body works together to, to act in one way, and each part plays its role in the functioning and the performance of whatever the body is doing, but there is a unity in the action of the body. And so what happens is as we live in a church, the answer to the question, why are we here, becomes a lot more muddy because each of us have this passion that God has placed into our heart because of how He's made us to be and the way in which He's desired us to function as a body. And it forces me to ask, and perhaps you to ask tonight, are we as the church doing the right thing? Are we as the body doing the thing that God has called us as the body to do? And that's, my, that's the concern that I have for us today as the church. And, and I think all the things that we are doing, you need to hear me, are good and godly and God-inspired things. But I think we've, we've kind of missed, in some ways, the reason for our diversity. We've lost the focus for which God has called us together. And, and I want to make a case with you tonight for what I believe that purpose is. I think God has given us a framework as the church that pulls all of those different giftings and passions and callings together and mobilizes them in one direction. And I want to share with you what I believe that is. This is what God has been stewing in my heart. That it is the great commission above all other things in Scripture that unites the body of Christ together and brings all of the different things that God has put into His body and leads them into one direction. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I want to propose to you that as we live out this commission, that all of the things and all of the passions and the giftings that God has placed into each and every one of you, and I absolutely believe that He has done that, and I believe those things are beautiful and wonderful, but as we focus them through this commission, we as the church will begin to do that God has, what God has done for us. And we will, we will finish our days, and God will look at our generation and say, we have fulfilled the purposes of God in our generation. And we'll stand before Jesus one day, and He will look at us and say, well done my good and faithful servants. This is my belief. I hope some of you agree with me even as we start. I trust that some of you probably don't, and uh, that's why I'm going to try and convince you for the next little while. All right, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to explain this in, in five kind of short-ish steps because otherwise we might be here for quite some time, and I hope that by the end you'll agree with me. And if you don't, I'd love you to come and chat to me afterwards, and I, I promise I won't beat you. Right? We'll just have a good chat, and we'll, we'll open up the Scriptures together, and it'll be fun. Right? But I believe this command gives us the framework through which God desires to mobilize His church. Let me tell you why. Here's the first reason, and I think this is the strongest reason. But the Great Commission covers everything that Jesus said and taught. Everything that Jesus said and taught is wound up, up 
wound up in, caught up in the Great Commission. But there's a holistic scope to the Great Commission that doesn't exist in any of the other commands of Scripture. Because at the end of the commission, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and to teach them to obey, to do everything that I have already taught you. All of the things that I've taught you over the three and a bit years that I've been with you and that I've shared with you in private and in public, I want you to now take all of those things and I want you to live them out and I want you to teach others to live them out as well. All of the 70 plus commands that we found in Luke and John and probably the other 70 odd that we found in Matthew and Mark, all of them are covered in the Great Commission. The passion that God placed on your heart to feed the hungry or to educate the poor or to care for the needy exists in the Great Commission. Everything that Jesus taught and commanded his disciples to do is in this commission. No other command in Scripture has this scope. And the thing is, when we fulfill, properly fulfill, the Great Commission, when we make disciples and we teach them to live out everything that Jesus has taught us, then we fulfill all of those other things that God has placed into our hearts. Otherwise, we're not living out the Great Commission as Jesus intended. That's the first reason. The second, and I think perhaps maybe this is as strong, right, is the Great Commission has always been God's mission. It has always been God's mission. Long before Jesus entered the scene as a man, God's journey with humanity has been a journey of restoration. See, in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God in creation. We all know what happened. Right? There was the fall that happens in Genesis 3, and sin enters the world, and the fellowship, the closeness, the intimacy that man and woman were able to enjoy with God is now broken because sin has interposed itself between us and God. And so Adam and Eve get banished from the garden, and so significant is their banishment that the Lord sends an angel with a sword of fire to guard the entrance to the garden because they aren't able to come back into that place. And from this point on in the story of the Scriptures... God has been working with humanity to restore their relationship with Him. From Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to David, and from David to Jesus. Every section of that story is the story of God restoring a sinful, broken humanity to Himself. Over and over again in the Scriptures, God makes this promise with His people. He says, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. It's this beautiful identity that God is with us and we are with Him. And that's what He deeply desires. But over and over again, sin gets in the way of that. It was sin that caused God to destroy the world in a flood. It was sin that caused God to separate people into different languages. It was sin that caused Esau to trade away his birthright for a single meal. It was sin that caused the Israelites to fail to enter the promised land when God had given it to them. And it was sin that ultimately caused God to destroy the Israelite nation and to leave only a remnant behind. From the very beginning, sin has been imposing itself between us and God. And it creates a rift that cannot be bridged. It's the reason God gave us the law, so that we could again be made righteous. So that our sins could be atoned for in the great day of atonement and the sacrifices for sins that were able to be brought to the temple. It was through the law that God desired to forgive His people of their sins so that they could continue to be in relationship with Him. But despite that constant work and grace, we have failed to eliminate sin from our lives. 
And that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the culmination of God's plan, and His purpose is to redeem people to Himself. His purpose is to draw them back into relationship with Him so that they would walk with Him and follow Him and then to continue the work that He has done. The Great Commission has always been the work of God. Throughout time, God has been working to restore humanity to Himself. Here's number three. Now, this is a different one, but the Great Commission was the last command that Jesus gave. It was one of his final spoken words. And he gave many commands. We saw just in Luke and uh, John, there were 70, right? Jesus gave many commands while he was here on earth with his people. But this is one of the final commands that he gives, and it's unsolicited. No one provokes this out of Jesus. In fact, he gets to his disciples, and he says he's just resurrected, and they've seen him a few times And he spent a bit of time with them, and he says, listen, guys, I need you to go ahead of me into the region of Galilee, and I need you to wait for me there. And so you can kind of imagine that that Jesus is resurrected. They're all really excited. This is a brand new thing. Even though he told them it was going to happen, they didn't really believe it. Now it's happened. This is incredible. And then Jesus says, I want you to go there, and I want you to wait. And so they all get together, and they go to Galilee. And you can kind of imagine them sitting on the mountainside, and they're waiting. They're like, why are we here? What are we waiting for? And then Jesus appears, and he arrives, and he says to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. After this final meeting, Jesus ascends into heaven shortly after. It's difficult to place exactly the chronology of the end of the Gospels with the beginning of Acts. But these are some of the parting words that the King of heaven gives his disciples before he leaves. This is his final thought, the final flavor, the last thing that he wants to leave with them, the last thing he wants them to carry. He says, I've told you many things, but now I tell you this. Go and make disciples. Adds a significance to that command for me. Fourthly, and a little briefly, the Great Commission is echoed in all of the endings of the Gospels. Each Gospel has a commission that brings it to an end, and they're all very similar. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, from 45 to 49, Jesus calls the disciples. He says, I want you to preach forgiveness of sins in my name. Now, you can't baptize someone unless they've been forgiven of their sins and received the gospel. And I want you to act as witnesses to my teachings, which is, again, similar to the idea, live out what it means to be a disciple. Show others what it means to be a disciple. Mark is probably the most similar to Matthew, because, and it's in the longer ending of Mark, which we think is probably modeled on the ending of Matthew. And they both contain the command, go into all the world. It's identical. Mark says, proclaim the gospel instead of make disciples. And then they both say, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. John's account comes slightly before the end in John 20, from 21 to 23. And he uses different words, but it carries the same heart. Jesus says to his disciples, I am now sending you out. In the same way that the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you. In the same way that I have come as the culmination of God's plan to redeem fallen humanity, to draw them back into the kingdom of God, and to bring them back into my presence, now I am commissioning you to pick up that mission, to carry that heart, and to go and to do the same. That's what I've been doing, and I want you to go and do that as well. I have made you my disciples. I want you to go into the world, and I want you to make disciples of me in the way in which you live. The Great Commission is echoed in each of the four Gospels. 
fifthly and finally, when Jesus taught, he taught that salvation was more important than anything else. He does this a number of times. Firstly, I'll share with you just two. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, this is Jesus' most comprehensive sermon. He's beginning to wrap it up with a collection of warnings. And so he says this in Matthew 7, 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. And I think in the statement, Jesus is probably primarily speaking to those who would pretend to be doing the works of God. But what he does is he makes a very significant statement. He says, there will be a day where people will come before him and they will show him the list of all the good stuff that they have done in their life. And he will say to them, get away from me. You didn't know me. I never knew you. You weren't my disciple. You weren't following me. Doing good, godly things is ultimately of no worth if it doesn't proceed from a relationship with God. That's the works-based gospel. You can't work yourself into heaven. You can't do enough good, godly, righteous things to become worthy of God. You have to do that out of an overflow of a relationship with Jesus. It's the only thing that counts at the end of the day. I think Jesus says it perhaps even more strongly later on in Matthew. In Matthew 16, he asks this rhetorical question of people. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And the, the point in this question is perhaps even sharper or more pointed than the previous one. He's saying there's nothing that is more valuable than salvation. And this makes a significant statement. When we look at this in relation to some of the other commands that Jesus gives, it makes a very important point for us. Because he tells us to love the poor. He tells us to care for the needy. He tells us to look after the illiterate. But what good is it to teach someone to read if you don't help lead them towards Jesus? What good is it to give someone a job but not to show them the greatness of the Messiah? To be real harsh, you're just making their journey to hell easier. It's not what we want to do. What can they trade at the end of their life for their soul? The answer is nothing. Nothing is more important than coming to know Jesus as the king of the world. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing the godly things that God calls us to do. Right? We have to be doing those things. But we have to, as part of doing that, be doing that so that they will come to know the Savior, that we can at least be pointing them in that direction, that we can at least be showing them who Jesus is. Because all of those commands are subservient to the command to make disciples. That's why I believe the Great Commission is the command of God that best brings the church together and creates a, a focus, a path that we can work together to achieve. It's the command that unites all of God's other commands and mobilizes them toward an end. That we would bring people into a life-giving relationship with God. If you work in inner healing ministry, 
that's a part of this because when broken people exist and it's very difficult to make disciples of someone if you don't know who you are in the Lord and you can't deal with the own, your own stuff that you're carrying and so you go and someone helps you get healed so that you can go and lead others into healing and you can go and lead others to Jesus. All of God's commands fit inside of this idea. That's what God has begun to place in my heart. And I hope for some of you that's resonating in yours. I want to bring this to a close by drawing out two implications. The first is what happens to the church when the Great Commission isn't central to what we do. And the second is if we bring the Great Commission into the sense of focus, what's that going to mean for you and for me? So let's talk a little bit about it. What happens if we put something else as the center of the church rather than the Great Commission? When we place anything other than that at the center, the, the thing is, the thing we lose most is the heart of the Great Commission. It's the idea of making disciples. We do lots of good things. We do lots of good ministry. But we tend not to make disciples. See the, and, and some of you will know this, hopefully, if you've been in the church for a little while. But you might know, we read the Great Commission, and we often say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. But go is not the main verb in the Great Commission. The main verb is to make disciples. And that verb is then modified by three participles. Sorry for the grammar lesson, right? For those of you who skipped that in English, right? But the verb is modified by three things that are a part of the verb. So as you make disciples, do that as you go. As you make disciples, baptize them as a part of making disciples. As you make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's what Jesus is saying when he gives his disciples the Great Commission, that it's all about making disciples. That is what Jesus spent his life doing here on earth. In his three years of ministry, he spent most of his time raising up 12 men so that when he left, those 12 men could begin to disciple others. And through their ministry and the power of the Spirit, the church is born. He said to them, come, learn from me. Come, follow me. Let me make you fishers of men. Let me take you from what you are doing and teach you to be like me, that you would draw others to follow you, just as you are following me. When we remove the Great Commission from its central place, we lose disciple-making as our primary objective and goal. Something else, I, just, I want you to just notice this as well. Right? When Jesus in the Great Commission tells him to obey everything that he has taught them. He includes the Great Commission in that statement. Jesus is creating a circular place, piece of logic so that those who make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded includes the command to go and to make disciples so that your disciples should be beginning to make disciples of other people. And those disciples should be beginning to make disciples of other people. That's the heart of what Jesus desires the church to be doing. And I know some of you might be thinking, I mean, I, like I agree with that. that that's totally, that I'm, I'm there. See, we often miss, that the, miss the place that the end point of the journey is not that we bring someone to church and we ask the church to disciple them into a good Christian. Right? 
That's not the end. That's, that's a great starting point. And we're going to work with that. But the end point is that the person that's come to know Jesus will be discipled to be like Jesus and will come to a point where they are able to lead others to know him and to be able to disciple others to know him. That's what Jesus wanted to do. That's what he wanted his church to do. If I really want to be sure that I've discipled someone well, then I'll be able to see that there are people that they're discipling. And if I give it a bit of time, I'll be able to see that those people that they've been discipling will also be discipling others. So on and so forth. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? Let's say perhaps you agree with me, right? Let's say the Spirit has been working tonight and and you, you want to get behind this idea. What does it mean? The first thing I'd like to suggest is we need to adjust our measure of success. It's not simply enough to be a blessing to others, even though that's a good thing. God is calling us to more. No matter how God has gifted us, how are you able to take the gifting that God has given you and bring it into this perspective? How are you able to use that and say, how can I help people to become disciples of Jesus? How can I teach them everything that God has taught me? I'll share a little bit of how God has begun to do this for for me in my life. See, in the middle of last year, we went away as a staff. We spent some time uh, seeking the Lord. Ironically, I spent a lot of that time in a cemetery, but it was a space where the Lord spoke to me. Don't ask me why. All right. God does weird things. And as I sat there, God began began to speak to me. And he said, Brad, I feel the frustration that you're carrying in your heart, but if you want change, you actually have to lead it, and you have to be a part of it. So I said, Lord, what do I need to do? He gave me five names. And I said, okay, God, if, we, if we're going to do this, then there needs to be a time slot, because this is who I am. Right? I, I, it's very difficult for me to just make a fluffy commitment. So if you say to me, Brad, let's hang out, I'd be like, okay, great, when? And I pull out my phone and open up my diary, because otherwise it doesn't happen. So I said, Lord, okay, when? When are we going to do this? He said, okay, we're going to do it Thursday morning, 7 o'clock. I was like, okay, great, I can do that. So, Lord, if this is right and this is from you, I'm going to go and speak to these people, and they're going to be excited to meet at Thursday morning at 7 o'clock. And I was like, right. So I went and I spoke to them. All of them came back and said, Brad's great. We're really excited we're going to do that. So that was exciting, right? And I, and I, had, I, had, this, I had this thing that was now starting. I didn't really know what I was doing, right? But I felt like God had told me this is what I needed to be doing. And so I began, began to do it. And then along the way, um, God and His grace through Roland and John brought me into contact with John Abramsa from J-Life. And we began to journey together. And this is stuff that bleeds out of them. So if you want to dig more, go and chat to them as well. And they spoke about a thing called a DDP. And I'm like, what on earth is a DDP? I've never heard of this DDP thing before. Basically, it's just an acronym that means a description of a discipled person. And I was like, wow, that's so simple, but so helpful. Like, what are we actually working towards? What are we building towards? What am I trying to achieve? Otherwise, what's going to happen is I'm going to meet with these five people for seven years, right? And it's going to be wonderful. We're going to start having a great time together and talking about the rugby and watching the Proteus try and get as, like, as good as the Springboks. But we, there's not going to be a goal. There's not going to be an end point, And it's going to be this continuous thing. And so I began to recognize, I said, okay, Lord, show me. What does a disciple person look like? What does it look like when you reach the point where you can say, you know what? 
I've been babied long enough now. Now I can step out the boat and I can walk. And Jesus can go back to heaven and I can trust the Spirit to help me along. That's what happened with the disciples. Eventually Jesus said, guys, I'm going to go. And it's on you now. And they were able to do that by the power of the Spirit. Right? So what does it look like in the people that we're walk, walking alongside? When, what are we working towards? Because as soon as you got that, then I can say, hey, James, like, how are things going in your life? Like, how are we doing on this scale? Where do we need to work? You know what, Brad? Like, this is an area where I'm really struggling right now. Okay, great. We're going to do that. We're going to begin to do ministry into that space. And suddenly we're going to see, okay, after a couple of months, you know what? I feel like I'm getting on top of this. And this is beginning to get firmed up in my life. And it's not always clear exactly where we need to go and how long we're going to spend getting there. But at least we've got a goal and we're working towards something. And I can tell you, as I've shared this with the guys we've been walking with, they've been really excited to go there. Because that's where we all want to be, isn't it? We all want to be mature in the Lord. We want to, we want to be, feel like we're, we're with God and we're doing what God has given us to do. And sometimes we've got to patch some stuff up inside of us in order to get there. And that's the blessing we have of being able to do this together. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what does this mean for you? Is, is there someone who's beginning to walk with you? Do you have someone like that in your life who's helping you to live like Jesus? And if you don't, maybe begin to look around you and say, who are the people that God has placed around me that I really honor and that I really respect and that I could just know if I sat down and I chatted with them, I would appreciate the things that they have to say into my life. And if you don't know any people like that, come and chat to us and we'll help you find them, right? Because we'd love to do that. And then maybe you need to say to them, you know what, I would really just appreciate, would you mind meeting with me? Maybe once a month, maybe twice a month. I'd just love for, for us to walk a bit of a journey together. And if you're the person that someone's approaching and asking if you'll journey with them, I'd love you to strongly consider doing that with them. And if you don't quite know what you're doing on that journey, ask God first. Ask Him to help you along. And then come and ask people that are already walking that journey. I've got like this much experience, and I'll share with you what I've got, right? But there are others who've been walking this for a long time. Come and chat. Come and ask John. Come and ask Roland. Chat to John Abramson at the back. Chat to those people that have been mentors in your life, Buster, right? There are, there are men and women in this church who have walked with the Lord for a long time, and have walked with others for a long time. Don't be intimidated because you don't think you have what it takes, God has been working in you, and His deepest desire is that you would take what He's given you and release it into others so that it wouldn't just stop with you. And then know that you're working towards something. Take some time and say, Lord, what are, what are you wanting to develop in my life? What is it going to look like when I'm going to be able to stand on my own two feet and know that I can begin to walk this out with others? Have a bit of a goal. Write it down. Actually write it down. Maybe type it up, right, if you're anything like me. Because if you write it on a piece of paper, it's going to disappear into the nether, right? Put it in your electronic Google Drive filing system. If you don't have one of those, come chat to me. I'll tell you about it. It's amazing. <laughs> Secondly, what relationships has God given you favor to pursue in your life at the moment? Are there Christians or non-Christians around you that you just have a really great connection with? And you know that things are just going really well. Maybe begin to take some time and ask God, God, is there something else you're wanting to develop in these relationships? Is there a way in which I can be strategic 
in the relationship that I'm in at the moment? Is there something you want to release from me into that space? Start asking God there. Maybe there's someone that you need to begin a journey with. Go and speak to them. Be intentional. Even if you don't have it all together, you're being discipled and journeyed in the space. There is always someone further down the road than you. There's someone who hasn't begun to walk yet. There's someone who's just stepped through the door. There is stuff that God has done in you that you can release and that will be a massive blessing to their life. But do it with someone who's walking with you. So you're able to bounce things off and you're able to look back. That's what I do. When I get stuck, I go to John and I say, John, I go to Howard and I say, Howard, I don't know what's going on in this space. Help me to navigate this situation because it's hard. We all get to do that. God has placed people around you where you're able to go and to ask questions and to seek counsel, to get wisdom. Put a time limit on your, I know that seems a bit like hectic, but try and, try and put a goal time limit so that you're working towards something that has an end point. Otherwise, you might just be working indefinitely and never get anywhere. Say, we're going to do this over two years. We're going to do this over three years. See what happens. All right. Do you know that if each of us was able to disciple someone, and release them after two years, that in 140 years, we could have discipled 7 billion people. How's that for the Great Commission? All right, we're going to come to a close. I'm going to ask Amy and the team to come and lead us in worship. And if you want to come and chat afterwards, you want to ask some questions, you want to ask me where on earth I smoke this paradigm out of, come and chat. If you want to you start this, you want to do something, maybe you need to take some time and you need to pray with God. You need to say, God, who is it that you've put around me? Both relationships that I can look up to and receive from and places that I can give. You need to maybe take some time to ask the Lord to lead you in that. If you're maybe in a relationship already and you just need some wisdom and some sp- to, to know how to begin to take this journey and to make it more intentional, more helpful, I'm sure we're, we're more than willing to chat. All right. We're going to be around. We're going to move after this into a space of response, into a space of worship. If you need to pray as we're singing the first song, feel free to do that. And as you're ready, you can come and join us as we give God glory. But let's pray together.